Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. Most people even remotely familiar with the Nativity story know about the wise men who came from afar to see the newborn king. Yet there's so much about their story that we take for granted or have frankly made up over the years. In this week's message, Pastor David Cartwright breaks down what we know about their journey and relates that to the journey of faith that we all must take. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. I invite you this morning to turn in your scripture to Matthew chapter 2, the first book of the New Testament, the first of our four Gospels, and we'll be reading there the familiar passage that we uh, read pretty much every every year at this time on Epiphany Sunday. Matthew chapter 2, reading verses 1 through 12. Hear now God's word. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, For this is what had been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went away, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Some of the greatest stories that we share in our culture are adventure stories, stories where a character or a cast of characters embark on a great journey together. And typically those journeys have all kinds of interesting twists and turns. Uh, there are unexpected people that you meet along the way. There is typically a crisis that happens. There's sorrow. There's joy. Uh, There are 
just this, this, this unexpected uh, plot that unravels as the journey is made. I thought about one of the greatest and most familiar of those stories in, in our culture, which might be The Wizard of Oz, which, from which early in the story, Dorothy uh, starts on this journey. And, and you remember how it started, right? She was told to follow what? You follow the yellow brick road, anticipating this uh, person, this wizard whom she would meet at a place called Emerald City. She meets these unexpected characters along the way. There's danger, there, there's uh, discovery, there's all these things, uh, unexpected things happen. It doesn't quite turn out like she expects, but it's just a great uh, unraveling, uh, unfolding of this journey that takes place. And so you can kind of see... You know, these journey stories are, are wonderful parts of our culture together. The, the, the brief narrative that we read, to me, just kind of gives it in a capsule another great journey that happened. I ha I'm a curious person, and I've shared with you before that there are a lot of things about these magi and the journey that they made that makes me curious. I do want to say this morning that we, we should be very modest in uh, what we claim to know and what we don't know about them. There's so much that we don't know. We read it into the story. And, and I would be very careful not to tell you definitively that we know some things that we don't know. And so I, I want to be very careful about that. I mean, in just in 12 verses of Scripture, there's only so much information that can be had. We don't know that there were three of them. The Scripture doesn't tell us that. We don't know exactly from where they came. We have theories, if you will. Uh, we don't know how the journey unfolded for them. I, I shared with you on Christmas Eve that I've wondered, did they journey by day? Did they journey by night so that they could follow the star when it's out? Sometimes the depictions that we use of the, these three kings uh, kind of tell that. Some of them you'll see drawn at night with a star up in the sky and three of them on a camel. Some of them you say you see in daytime, like the graphic that we're using today. Uh, we, we don't know. There's so much that we don't know about the journey. And I'd, I'd love someday to just sit down with these characters and, and say, tell me about it. Tell me what prompted you. Tell me what it was like. Tell me about the hardships and the unexpected things that happened along the way. But to me, this, this journey, so briefly described in Scripture, is a picture, if you will, of the journey of discipleship. The, the journey by which we as followers of Jesus Christ come to behold, as the Magi did, the face of God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's really what discipleship is. It is a journey that we take on, a way, on our way to meet God. And not just meeting God as a one-time destination, but an ongoing daily discovery of God who seeks to meet us as we journey toward Him. And so as we look at this little narrative... We see, if you will, some things that are true about the, uh, the, the journey of discipleship. And perhaps as we once again start a new year, it's good to remind ourselves of these things. The first thing I see in this narrative is that there's a beginning to it. 
There is a definite beginning to the journey that is made. I think I also shared with you that on October, October, (laughs) December, the other month in the fall, on December the 22nd, I took the opportunity to go out after dark and to look up into the sky. It's been that year when we've been encouraged to go out and see the quote-unquote Bethlehem star, those two planets so closely aligned. I know that the 21st was supposed to be the optimal night to see it, but the 21st was occupied for me, so I went out on the 22nd. My family and I went out. It was dark. We looked up. We saw, and, and, I, and I just spent some time out there just staring up into the quiet, dark sky at those two, uh, almost one, uh, very prominent lights in the sky. And, and part of what I thought about while I was doing that was that so long ago, somewhere around 2,000-ish years ago, there were people who saw a light like that in the sky, and when they beheld that light, they were beckoned by God onto a journey. Something prompted them. Was it uh, something that had been shared with their ancestors from the Jewish faith? Uh, we think that's possibly you know, how... Uh, maybe through Daniel's stay with uh, in Babylonian captivity and then under the Persian rule, maybe that history of the Jewish people, that anticipation, anticipation of the Messiah was passed along to them. Maybe that's how the, the Magi came to understand the anticipation of a Jewish ruler. But something in that light called them. And when they heard or saw the sign, they started the journey. Christianity is like that. Discipleship is like that. There is a point at which we hear the call of God in our life, and we decide to start the journey. We put our feet forward intentionally to move toward God in Jesus Christ. Now, all of our journeys may start a little bit differently. Some, some of us have those moments that are so dramatic in our conversion that as we say, you know, I, I know the, 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 the hour and the minute that I was kneeling at the altar and I remember the song that was playing when I gave my life to Christ. It was that dramatic. And for some of us, it may not stand out quite as much. But regardless of the circumstances, there are those points at which we can say, I decided to follow. I decided to take my steps. We sing a song like that, don't we? It's been a part of Christian faith for for a long time. I have decided to follow Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me. Though none go with me, still I will follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And I expect for every one of us here, we can look at at a day, an hour, a season, a point in our lives when we have said, you know what, yes, maybe it was a slow process of God warming my heart, but I can tell you that there was a decision I made at some point. And you know what, that is a decision that we're invited to renew every day we wake up, every day, to make that decision one more time. 
I'm going to pursue Jesus today. You see, when we make that decision, we will remind ourselves of the path we're on. And sometimes we need to look up in the night sky once again, if you will, to see the star that would draw us, or to hear the, the call of God once again to say, I'm, I'm calling you toward me, because day after day after day, that kind of gets lost. And so every morning we are invited to renew that calling upon our lives. And we, we said, I've, I've made the decision, I'm going to follow. And when we put our feet and our lives to that path, we set our eyes to behold our Lord. We don't know what the journey is going to hold. We don't know how long it's going to be that we're on the journey, but we know where we're going. And so these wise men, these magi set out. I, I don't know I don't know how far the journey was as far as miles goes. I'm, I'm confident that you could measure it in the, in the hundreds of miles category. And if you just think about before cars, before automobiles, how long that would have taken. I don't know how many months it took them to get there. A long time, I'm sure. But they journeyed along. And they journeyed until they came to this land called Palestine, where there was a city called Jerusalem. And they showed up in the only place that they knew to go. They, they, they knew to show up where the leadership would be. And they, and they walk in and, and into Herod's palace and to the place where the king would be. And they announce the news that they are looking for this, uh, this Messiah who was uh, to be born. And they say, we, we've seen his star in the east and we're looking for him that we might go worship him. And Herod hears this news and he is what? Delighted? Overjoyed? No, he is what? He's troubled. Herod is bothered by this news. Why is Herod bothered by this news? Because if there is another king that is born, it is a threat to him. Part of the Christian journey is that it is a risky journey. There is a saying that we have repeated to ourselves over and over again and we really ought to just think about it. I'm not going to tell you that there's not truth in it, but we really ought to think about what we're saying when we say that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Have you ever said that? The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. I guess it depends on how you think about safe. I can tell you the best place to be is in the center of God's will. But being a Christian is risky, dangerous business. There's an organization called Open Doors. It is, it is particularly established to follow and to advocate for persecuted Christians across the world. Every year they, they offer a a report about the dangers of being Christian in the world. Last year's report, I don't have the one from this year, but last year's report offered these statistics. Worldwide, eight people every day are killed because they are Christian. Every week, 
182 churches or church buildings are attacked. Every month, over 300 people are unjustly imprisoned simply because they are Christian. And you want to tell me that it's safe to be a Christian? Not in some parts of the world. Being a Christian is risky business. It has been from day one. It has been from Pentecost. Open your Bible to Acts chapter 2 and start reading. You won't get very far before you find out that the world pushed back on those who professed Jesus Christ. They threw them in prison, kicked them out of the synagogue, the temple. It wasn't long before there was this guy named Saul who was, who was hotly breathing down the, the necks of Christians. He was going out trying to unearth them and, and uncover them so that he could put them to death. And then guess what happened to him? He became a Christian. And the words about him spoken by God were, I'm going to show him how much he will suffer for my name. Christianity has been marked by martyrs. Stephen, Paul, Peter, the list could go on. They, they go out through the centuries of, of people who have been pushed back on, martyred, put to death, or, or persecuted otherwise because they stood up. Martin Luther, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who left the comfort of the United States to go back to Germany and to advocate for righteousness against the Third Reich of the Nazis. And he lost his life. The list could go on and on. And how many others whose names we don't know in history have been persecuted, put to death, simply because they would not deny the name Jesus Christ. It is risky being Christian. If the, if the worst thing that happens to us is if we're in school and we say, my friends don't want to hang out with me because I go to church or because I'm Christian, if the worst thing that happens to me is my family doesn't want to come around because they know that, I'm, that I don't want to do some of the things they do because of my faith in Jesus Christ, if that's the worst thing that happens to us, we got off easy. Now you're saying, well, how do you, now why are you even talking about this from the narrative of the Magi? Listen. These guys, these magi strolled into the presence of one of the most ruthless men history has known. Now, it is true that if you measure just by the numbers, Herod is probably not going to be listed with the likes of uh, Stalin or Mao Zedong or, or some of the other people throughout history who have, who have killed tens or hundreds of thousands of people either just by literally putting them to death or, or by afflicting such uh, you know, dehumanizing conditions upon them. True, the numbers may not hold up for Herod, but you would be hard-pressed. I mean, look at what he did after, the, after he had learned that the, that the Magi had, uh, had not come back to him. Double-crossed in his mind. When he gave an order to put every child under the, every male child under the age of two years old in and around Bethlehem to death. 
If you look at the history of Herod, this guy was as cruel and ruthless as they come. He would have stopped at nothing to preserve his own power. It's hard to say what he would have done to them had he known. Let me share another passage of Scripture with you. If you would turn with me over to Matthew chapter 10, hopefully you still have your Bible open. Don't close your Bible when we're preaching. So if you're open to Matthew chapter 2, you don't have to turn far over to Matthew chapter 10. There's something that Jesus wrote here. There's really just a couple of passages I want to walk through with you. Um, Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 32. This is Jesus talking, and he's, he begins by saying, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Now, as Jesus gets into this, he's recognizing what? That it is risky to profess him. He goes on and he says in verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be members of his household. We get to the places like this in the gospel, and we go, whoa, wait a minute, that doesn't, that doesn't seem to line up with kind of the, the way that I've come to understand the good news and, and this kind, peaceful person called Jesus Christ. You have to understand what Jesus is saying. First of all, understand what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying that it, he takes delight in being a homewrecker. He is not saying that I take delight in seeing family members torn apart from each other. In fact, if you look at the scripture reference he uses, you go back to the prophet Micah of chapter 7 of Micah, in which the prophet there is recognizing all of the unrighteousness that is happening among his people, and part of the description that he uses there is that a, 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 a daughter against, is against her mother, a daughter-in-law is against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be member, members of his own household. He's recognizing this contention that happens with all the unrighteousness that, that goes on. And Jesus recognizes that when you bring a person to him, to righteousness, he is automatically going to be set against all of that. And it is true. God takes no delight in marriages that are torn apart. God takes no delight in families that are torn apart. But he also recognizes that when you, take, when you stand with me, you automatically are going to stand against those who don't stand with me. It is just something that happens. Jesus goes on and says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, but he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. And you see, that's the nature of Christian discipleship. When Jesus says, come to me, no longer your life, but mine. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 16, verse 14, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me 
and I to the world. How powerful is that for someone who, who puts so much passion into trying to hunt down Christians to say, after meeting Jesus Christ myself, there is His cross, and by His cross, all of the world now is dead to me, and I'm dead to the world. It's all about Him, and I have submitted myself to Him. And really, that takes us to the third thing that we see in the uh, in the past, in the uh, narrative of the Magi. These these uh, people showed up. They're given direction to Bethlehem. The star leads them. They come into the presence of Christ. They kneel before Him and they worship. And the very last thing that we're told in this narrative in verse twelve is that having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now on the surface, that says something very plain. And I, again, would not want to suggest to you that there is deeper meaning that, that, that I know is there. Okay, so please don't hear me saying that the gospel writer is saying something that uh, he may not be. But what I am telling you, once again, is that think about the picture that describes. Think about the picture that describes. After going and encountering Jesus, the men left by a different way. They did not return to the authority of the world namely Herod, they took a different path. Is that not a picture of the journey of the Christian disciple? You see, we are called to a different path. When we have encountered Jesus, we no longer walk the same paths. We choose a different way because God has designated a different way. One of the great tensions that exists for the disciple of Jesus Christ is the tension that is created between the Christian life and the way of the world. In fact, when we get to the season of Lent this coming year, beginning with Ash Wednesday, we're going to take a, a very close, detailed look at the, some of the things that the Scripture talks about in that regard. We're going to be in a sermon series, and, and I don't know what it's going, to, it's going to be called yet. You know, uh, maybe using that familiar phrase, you know, in but not of the world. And you've heard that before, right? That the Christian is in the world but not of the world. And that is certainly true about Christian disciples. In fact, this is the way it, it's put um, by the writer of Ephesians in the second chapter. I'll keep flipping past it. I'll just read these verses to you from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where the writer says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. You see, this passage of Scripture is a great before and after. This is what you used to be. This is what you are now. Here's the great difference that Christ has made in your life. And he starts it out by saying, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You formerly walked according to the course of this world. Time and again in the Scripture, in the New Testament, 
the, the, the writers use the term the world to picture this, this large influence, this, this way in which the culture, in which the world around us speaks things to us. And it does it in so many ways. It does it through the media. It does it through our, our movies. It does it through, through the things that we read. It does it through uh, our, our systems, you know, the things that we're taught. There are so many ways that the world speaks and says, this is the way it ought to be done. This is the way that you ought to think. And then the scripture shows up and tells us, no. Because God says there's a different way. And it, 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 it once again creates this great contrast so that the disciple of Jesus walks a different path. And it requires ongoing discernment, hearing the voice of God, listening for the truth of God to speak to our hearts so that we can say no when the world says, walk this way. Herod would have loved for the Magi to come back and for them to have been complicit in a plot that was anti-God. God spoke to those guys in a dream and said, take a different path. It's a beautiful picture of what the disciple of Jesus Christ is called to do. So many great journeys begin with a simple invitation. And I believe God gives us a simple invitation today. You might be hearing it for the first time. You might be hearing it for the, I'll use the term my dad used to use, the umpteenth time. I'm not sure how many an umpteenth is, but I know it's supposed to be a lot. I don't know how many times you have heard the call, but I know that he gives it. He gives it all the time. He gives it every day. You know what he says? Follow me. There was a day that Jesus walked along the Sea of Galilee. He saw some guys getting out of a fishing boat. And he said those words to them. Follow me. They left their nets. They followed him. There is no way they could have anticipated the journey that was awaiting them. There's no way that we can fully anticipate the journey that awaits us. It will lead us to unexpected places. It will be dangerous. God will call us to things that are far beyond our comfort zone. But it's all part of the journey to behold the face of God in Jesus Christ. And as we start another year, I want to offer that invitation to you once again. Will you commit to the journey? He invites you today. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, I thank you. I thank you for these people whom we don't know. And Lord, I'd like to think that someday we'll be able to uh, sit down with them, maybe just hear the story.
But I thank you that you compelled their heart to come and to encounter you. And I thank you that throughout the ages you have continued to call people toward you. And we know, God, that your calling is upon us today. I pray, Father, that we may have ears to hear your voice. I pray that we have, might have hearts that are willing enough to respond. And I pray that you would give us the boldness of spirit so that we might not respond lightly, but that we might be determined, Father, to walk the path regardless of where you lead. And I know, God, that your blessings await us. I know, Father, that there's joy and an abundance of peace in knowing that we are walking with you. So help us to respond. Help us to follow that we might be faithful now and always. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.